Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we thank you, God, that you're not make-believe. Come on. God, we thank you, God, that we don't have to come in here and try to fake something that's not real. Come on, everybody right now with your eyes closed. Come on. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend like something's happening. Come on, something is happening right now. His name is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's here. So, Lord, we come here this morning with excitement, knowing that, God, you meet us here, Lord. You meet us here. Come on. God, we pray for the gift of faith, God, to believe it, God, to believe it, to go after it this morning, God, with everything in our hearts, putting everything aside, Lord. We go after it this morning. Come on and tell the Lord right now, decide in your hearts that this morning you're going after it. Doesn't matter what you did last week in the service. Doesn't matter how much you sang. It matters right now. Where's your heart? And God, we say you can have it all. Come on, you can have it all. God, we want to be found in your presence. There's nothing like it. No job, no family, nothing compares to it. So right now, God, before we sing this first song, God, our hearts worship you. Our hearts give you praise. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Come on, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah.
So it's so easy to worship God like that, to get out your comfort zone and really sing it out. When you just look at Jesus, we're not talking about our problems and the bills that got to be paid and the family issues and this and that. When you look at Jesus, it's easy to get out your comfort zone and worship. And when you look at Jesus, you begin to realize all that he's done for you, all that he's given you. And you can't hold it in because we're in his presence. He's made us new. He's called us sons and daughters. I have a new identity. Well, we pray that here this morning, God, that, Lord, we'll remind ourselves that it doesn't matter if trouble comes our way, where it doesn't change who we are because of what you did on the cross. Oh, God, it actually gives us more to be thankful for. It gives us more to be excited about because, Lord, we don't go into situations. We don't do life alone. We do it with you, God. You give us something to look forward to. God, we're not broke, busted, and disgusted. God, we're made new in your image, Lord. Help us to remember that, God, when we sing these songs, God. Oh, Lord, let us get out of our comfort zone. Church, this morning, I just encourage you to get out of that place where you're so comfortable and worship God abandoned. Worship God because he saved your life, because he forgave you of your sin. He washed your heart and he made you new. That's why we worship this morning. Why I'm worshiping 
Because on and on.
your hands and sing it again. Your love. Come on. upon our minds heaven right now we want to be heavenly minded in this place feel led of the Lord right now. We're going to just move this time for the Holy Spirit to move. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, so we say, Holy Spirit, come. We speak to our hearts. Use your people.
Thank you, Lord. Come on, if you need to return to the Lord, right now where you're at, just place your hand over your heart. Come on, that's where he's speaking to. That's where he's speaking to. Come on, return to the Lord this morning. If you've been far from him in your in your thought life, if you've been far from him in your walk, come on, if you've just turned your back on God and stopped having faith and hit him, come on, return to him this morning right now. If that's you, place your hand over your heart. Lord, God, see our hearts this morning. Thank you for speaking the word. God, we return to you. In our thoughts and our minds, Jesus, you're the only thing that matters. Jesus, you're the only thing that matters. Jesus, you're the only thing that matters. leave this altar open right now for any broken person, come on, every person who has that comparative spirit. Maybe you're judging yourself based off of others. Come on, you're just broken before the Lord. Come on. I just invite you up to this altar right now. Come on. The Lord says when you are weak, he is strong. Come on. Do you believe that this morning? Take a step of faith with us right now. Come up to the altar. Let the Lord heal your heart. Come on. Every broken person in this place, oh, there is healing, oh, there is healing, Lord, He sana my soul. person, every broken person, come, 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 don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, God's not ashamed of you, come on, come, 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 hallelujah, we have faith, God, that you heal our hearts, come on.
voice and cry out, awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Sing out, lift your voice and cry out, awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. us in the wilderness, faithful to provide, every breath and every step, we see with us in the wilderness, faithful to to sing it out there is no
Come on, God loves that. God is excited to meet with you just as much as you are with him. He's excited to speak to you just as much as you are excited to speak to him. Right now, I want to take this time to just share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, you guys might have heard me say this 
God left heaven to come to earth to be with us. That's love. Somebody say love. Why? Because he needed to become a sacrifice, a laid down sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John 1.12. John 1.12. It says here, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Amen. It says, yet to all who did receive him. It means there were some who did not receive him. But those who did put their faith in him, in Jesus, believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave a privilege. It's not something that was owed to us. It's something he wanted to give to us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not the sinners anymore. We're not rejected by God, but we're embraced as children just as you and I would embrace our children and love them so much, right? And we want to see them grow up and mature the same way that God is with us. We have been adopted into his kingdom because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We're children. Somebody say children. Yes. And there, we belong to God. And there's those who did not receive him do not belong to God. Actually, the Bible says that they are children of the devil. But there's an opportunity for each and every person to put our faith, to turn away from wicked ways and say, yes, God, I put my faith in what you did for me, and I want to be a child of God. And there's privileges that come with being a child of God. Amen? There's chains that are broken, right? There's purpose that is given to that child of God. There's eternity at hand, and that's eternity with Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we beckon you to come. Repent of your ways. Cry out to Jesus. Don't worry about who you are, what you're going through. It Maybe you're saying, I have too much sin. It doesn't matter. God's after your heart. God's after you. He will take care of the rest as you continue to walk with him. So if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, we ask that you just examine your heart today and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're already a child of God, just embrace that walk in that be that disciple that god has called you to be impact the world around you and shine so bright for him and his kingdom amen please stand to your feet with me i want to pray for those who want to surrender their life to the king this morning if that's you we have some prayer workers over here to the right we have salvador and monique who want to pray with you or, or want to talk to you about continuing your walk with christ and being that disciple so we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity to become a child of God. We thank you, dear God, that you don't reject us, but you call us, you beckon us, dear God, you clean us, dear God, and you give us purpose. I pray that in this room, dear God, that, that hearts would be surrendered, that we people would let go of the things of this world and just grab a hold of you, grab a hold of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Right now, we're going to recite our confession of faith. If you would like a copy of this, please raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring it to you. No? All right, let's recite this confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. We stand on these. These statements are found. They're based in the Bible, and we stand upon these words. Amen? On the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. 
and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. God, praise him. Take these next couple of moments to fellowship. If you need prayer, our prayer workers are right there for you. Please take your seat. Welcome to Metro Praise Church. Good morning. Good to have you all here today. Thank you to all of our first-time visitors for joining us this morning. Good to have you here. Here at Metro Praise, we have two 
main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m., Fridays Elevate Youth Service. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. There we go, that's what I'm talking about. I wanna give you guys a quick announcement. Coming up this weekend, Friday, at 7 p.m., we got our Truth Is Conference. Somebody say Truth Is. Come on, Truth Is Jesus, right? And we're having a conference, apologetics conference, wanting to train you up on how to defend your faith and also wanting to invite your family members, friends, coworkers, anybody who has doubts, objections to Christianity, come on out, share your questions, and we wanna have a dialogue with you. It's gonna be very powerful. We're expecting people to be saved, God to show up mightily. So it's Friday at 7 p.m. It's our first session all the way to Sunday at 10 a.m. here at MPI, completely free of cost. Check us out on Facebook. We got an event page, hit going, and then just blow it up, guys. We want to see you here, and we are expecting God to move. Amen? And then here at MPI, we got a vision of loving God and loving people, the two greatest commands Jesus Christ gave us. And how do we carry that out in our life through this discipleship strategy? Connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that everybody in this place here is connected to Jesus Christ. And then after you connect, get connected to Christ, we want to connect you to a life group. Somebody say life group. This is a place where disciples share life, doing various activities throughout the month. So this is a complete listing of what we have going on this quarter. And on the back of your announcements, if you guys want to check it out there, is also the complete listing. But this week, this is what we have going on these, this week. Tonight, we have a busy Sunday. We got three life groups going on, so find which one fits you. We got encounter prayer group starting at 5 p.m. We got the single mamas group at 5 p.m. Yep, and we got the marriage class group starting at 5 p.m. Yeah, so find one. Come on, you guys are excited this morning. I like that. We got all these great life groups going on tonight. Find one, fellowship, and get excited. And then Wednesdays, we got the King's Kids life group starting at 6.30, yes ages from infant all the way up to 11 years of age parents you can drop them off or hang out with them as well and then we got friday bible study at my house 7 p.m child care is provided guys we're having a great time a fellowship getting deep into god's word and in his presence and then saturday evangelism at 5 p.m guys this uh, life group is powerful seeing tons of souls just give their life over to Christ, just be impacted by the gospel. So find one that fits your schedule and fits your needs, amen? We wanna see you guys get connected. And then once you guys get connected, we wanna make sure that you get mentored through our one-on-one -on -one discipleship. This you do with one of the elders or the deacons here at the church, and it's just going off and, and learning the basics about Christianity and how you can grow closer to the Lord. After you graduate the one-on-one, -on -one, you go on to the 201, with Pastor Jared, Sundays at 8 a.m. Guys, this is powerful because God wants you to be trained and equipped to be sent out. Somebody say send. Sent out into the world to impact, to make disciples. And we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. Come on, God can do it, amen? Amen, God can, can give us more than, how about 501? Can you believe him for that? Come on, God can do anything he wants, and that's what he's called us to do, and he's going to use you and I to fulfill that goal. Now it's time to prepare for tithes and offerings. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 6, 4 through 7. Galatians 6, 4 through 7. I'm going to be reading out of the Disciples Online Giving Book. We are on Lesson 11. This morning's lesson is called The Tithe Tests Our Maturity. 
Hmm, the tithe tests our maturity. We've learned that tithing is 10% of our total income, which is given to God faithfully. We give our 10% to God faithfully. Amen. So if you're with me in Galatians chapter 6, 4 through 7, it says each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Amen. And that's true for every area of our, of our life, right? Whenever we reap something, whenever we sow something, that's exactly what we're going to reap. And here we're talking about tithes and offerings. So number one, the first point that we can take out of this passage is mature Christians don't compare themselves with others. The tithe is a good example of how each person is individually tested in obedience. No one has a greater or lesser amount. It is 10% of everyone. So we don't have to say, hey, you know, my sister who goes to the church, hey, she's giving more than me, or I'm giving less, or, or vice versa. It doesn't, it's not about that. We're not, it's not about each other. It's not about what you can do and I can do. It's about what we're doing unto God faithfully, giving our 10%. Number two, each person should carry their own load. God gives each church the exact amount of people who can carry the financial load. So when every disciple ties, the, the God-ordained vision for the church can be accomplished. Amen? If we're all responsible with our own, the things that this church needs to carry out will be accomplished. And so, number three, giving to the church supports the teachers. Paul reminded the people that as disciples are blessed in their lives, it is good to share with the church so the instructors could also be blessed. And number four, you reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. You cannot rightly ask God to bless you financially while you are stealing his tenth. However, if you are obedient in your tithe, you can expect to reap a harvest in your finances. Amen? God wants to pour it out upon us as we're obedient to him. So in summary, be a mature disciple by giving your tithe faithfully without complaining so your teachers can be supported and you can reap a harvest. Amen? So how can we apply this to our lives? Number one, repent to God and change your attitude if you've been complaining about tithing and begin giving with a cheerful heart. Number two, gladly receive the honor of sharing in the financial load of the church by tithing and consider yourself a great blessing to your church and its leadership. Yes, we appreciate your giving. We appreciate the support. Thank you so much. You guys go above and beyond, and we know that we got some cheerful givers in this place. And number three, as a faithful tither in covenant with God, God, ask him in prayer to give you a financial harvest so you can be a blessing to your family and the church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me and let's recite this over our tithe. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and a curse. It must be qualitative, a priority and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. When you give your tithe, your 10%, it goes to the general fund here at the church. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. Here at MPI, you can designate where your offering goes. You can choose missions or you can choose the building fund right on your envelope. 
this year for missions. We are taking a, a missions trip to the Philippines at, at the end of 2014. Yes, we're going to be partnering with other churches and bringing the gospel there. And so you can partner with that. We're raising $20,000, and we're well on our way to completing our goal. Amen? Let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, dear God, that you would pour out your blessings, dear God, in this season like never before. We thank you for the promotions that are happening. We thank you for the jobs that are opening, the favor that's being poured out upon your people, and every testimony that's coming forth, dear God, of you favoring your children. Father, I pray that we would be blessed to be a blessing and that we would have cheerful hearts to give to your kingdom in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen please come up as you give Man, if you love Jesus, can I get a whoop? Whoop! Come on, welcome to Metro Praise International. We're so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that I found somebody with my exact hairstyle. He's a first-time visitor. Let's give it up for our friend today coming with Julie and their family. Come on, we're not alone. We're not alone. It's not about my hair today. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm tempted to talk about it. But I'm not going to talk about it. Dude, did we not have just another Chicago-like weirdy weather thing happen? Like, I thought it was spring. I was flying kites with my daughters. And then what happened to last night and today? What happened? I know. It's like Chicago. It's like Chicago. It's like, psh, like pimp slap you. Did anybody ever see those things with Batman and Robin? It's like, I want to be Robin and be like, it's supposed to be spring. And Batman's going to, like, slap me and be like, shut up. It's Chicago. Get used to it. How many have friends or family on spring break and you just don't like them right now? Or have you seen any of those pictures or anything? No, nobody. We have no friends that take spring break. Well, man, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. 
I'm so happy that you're here. I am excited that you guys came this morning. I was literally woken up. Some of you out in the burbs might know this. I was woken up by the rattling of my house because of wind. Did anybody else have that today? A few of us? Just so windy today. Chicago is a windy city, but here's what I'm asking God to do. I'm asking for him to blow in his peace over our city this morning, that the peace of God will blow into this. I know it sounds weirdy, but just go, the peace of God. Come on, be a Benny Hinn right now and just go, the peace of God. See, I'm believing God, not for bad breath. I'm believing God for the peace to just blow in here. We don't want more violence. We want more peace. Amen. And that's what today's message is about. Some of you have been coming uh, regularly. Others are new or, or some have just, you know, been away for a while and come back. We're so happy you're here. And we're in the middle of a, se- a series on the Beatitudes. Somebody say Beatitudes. Thank you. These are the top eight sayings of Jesus for the morals of a Christian, like how we should live. And I want you to see the text. It's Matthew 5, 1 through 10. There's eight sayings, and all of them have the words, blessed are before them. So when we get to those words, blessed are, what are you all going to shout out? out man you guys are so smart look at your neighbor and say you're a smarty come on y'all ready let's do it okay Matthew 5 1 through 10 we weren't being sarcastic there we meant it you're smart now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be blessed, let's make some noise. Clap it up for Jesus. Now, just hide the scriptures because we are memorizing one a week. Today is the seventh one. Next week is going to be the eighth one. And what am I going to do for a grand finale? Who's going to recite them for you? My kids, my niños and niñas, even little Lucas, he'll be up here. And uh, we're going to recite them as a family because I wanted to encourage you this month to do it. And then I'm going to have some candy with me, the same bribes that I bribed them with. And so I'm going to be passing around the mic. So y'all better come ready so you guys can get some candy. Does anybody like some candy? How about chocolate? Does chocolate get you excited? This is Sunday school for adults, baby. We're just taking it to a whole nother level. Come on. Okay. So we got it all hidden there. I got to slow down and get my memory working. Let's just say it together. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the kingdom of heaven. Good job. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. See, I'm helping you with the first. That's how I teach with my kid, kids. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Good job. I always remember this one because it's like in the middle of them. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You guys are doing awesome. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now then we got Matthew 5, 8, which was last week's sermon. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You guys are awesome. Now Matthew 5, 9, today's message. Who can, who can say it with me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Come on, give it up for yourself. Woo, woo. 
That's my church, baby. Touchdown. This is my church right there. I'm proud of it, man. This is my Super Bowl. Come on, right here. Look at these definitions. All right. This is the whole series defined so you can catch up if it's your first time here. And if it's not your first time here, you could probably have these memorized as well. Jesus is talking to disciples. That's who he calls to be with them. He's up on a mountainside. He's outside chilling. And he calls these disciples. They're committed learners and students of Jesus Christ. Any disciples in the house? Right? We're not just make-believers. We're not just creatures coming to church on Christmas and Easter. We're followers. We're students. You got your notes out. You're, you're listening to the content. That's what Jesus had. The Sermon on the Mount is the big sermon of what he's doing. The Beatitudes are the, just the first part of it. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest section of Jesus' teaching going all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I felt the con confirmation of the Lord. So after the Beatitudes, we're going to preach on the whole Sermon on the Mount. Is anybody going to be excited about that? Because, you know, we got to learn to turn the other cheek. Where is that found? Sermon on the Mount. Not to lust after one another because it's like adultery in the heart. Where is that found? Sermon on the Mount, the praying to our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where's that found? Sermon on the Mount. You're going to learn all about it. It's awesome. The Beatitudes comes from the Latin word to English, beatudo. It means blissful, happy, blessed sayings of Jesus. Or I just like to say the Beatitudes are the attitudes of the kingdom. So look at your neighbor and say the Beatitudes are the attitudes of the kingdom. It's okay to get sassy right now. Look at your other neighbor. Put out your finger. Come on. Come on. Let me get some help from my Boricuas up in this place right now. Look at your neighbor and say, it's the attitudes. Oh, no, no, no. I messed up. I got too hyped. Say the Beatitudes are the attitudes of the kingdom. It's all right to be sassy. Even dudes can get sassy. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, in every relationship, there's a sweet and sassy one. You know, I, you know which one I am, right? Of course, I'm the sweet one. Nancy's the sassy one. Forgive me, Lord, for lying in church. You know what I'm saying, but um, I try. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. Those things you, sh that word, phrase, blessed are that you shouted out uh, eight times. Also, in our English, comes from a Latin word, beatus, and it means to be spiritually blessed, happy, and blissful because, everybody say because. Thank you, because God's favor is on our life. We're not blessed just because we got a pay raise. You know, the people in the world can get jobs, promotions. You know, a lot of people can do those kinds of things. But the blessing is more than just a thing. The blessing is God's divine approval. So take, take the example of uh, me and my children. I could give my children gifts after gift after gift. But if I don't give them my blessing, my love, my friendship, my life to them, those gifts don't mean anything. Is everybody tracking with me? And see, some people in life... All they want is God's hand. They don't want God's face. But you see, the scripture says in Numbers, as my brother Ulysses from the youth group brought up. Where's Ulysses at? Whoop, whoop. See, God says in Numbers that when we're blessed, his face will shine upon us. That we're not just getting his hand, we're getting his face. I want the face of the Father to shine upon my life. I thank him for the oxygen. I thank him for the gifts and the talents. But I want to be blessed in his presence, just like my children could have all those gifts, but it doesn't compare to being blessed with their daddy. Amen. And is, is anybody here a, children of, a child of God? 
Come on. And then the kingdom of heaven, this is the place that we have in our heart now. It's a hidden treasure. Nobody can see the kingdom yet here, but it's in our hearts because we've been born again. But one day it's coming to the world when Jesus Christ reigns. And it starts with the kingdom of heaven. We come in through our mourning, and it ends with the kingdom of heaven through the persecution we'll face. And let me just prepare you. Please come next week. But let me prepare you to have your heart broken next week because we're going to talk about the suffering of the Christians around the world. We're going to talk about how the name of Christ is still blasphemed among unbelievers in communist countries like North Korea. They're, they're executing right now 30, if it hasn't been done already, 30 Christians. You'll learn about the bombings in Pakistan and Nigeria and how we need to pray for Islamic countries, communist countries, places where people are really suffering. So come next week to have your heart broken for a purpose so that you can pray for others. And then when you suffer on your job, they make fun of you or, or you know, your, your family persecutes you. You can count it as a blessing, amen? And you can also thank the Lord saying, well, at least they're not blowing up my building today, amen? But who knows if that may come to America. Now look at our sermon text for today, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Children of God. Let's get a definition of peacemakers. Does anybody want to guess what the word peacemaker means? Makes what? Peace. Come on, y'all smart. Peacemakers make peace. We want to learn to make peace in conflict. And so if you're here today, I want to let you know conflict is a part of life. There is no way you can be in this world without conflict. As a matter of fact, one of the things Jesus prepared us for was a world that would suffer and be in trouble at all times. Like, so if you're ever like wondering, like, why is my life so messed up? When is it ever going to go away? It's not until Jesus comes back. Now, there's ways to keep conflict out of your heart so it doesn't always come on the inside, but there's never going to be a day where you read the newspaper and there's not conflict. There's never going to be a day if you have more than two or three friends that one of them's not going to be happy. You know, uh, that, that There's always going to be relational conflict. If you're married, let's just keep it real married, folks. Is there ever really a week that goes by without a conflict? Come on. Sometimes I'm not talking about like screaming and everything's going, you know, like burning down the house, but how many married couples can just say an amen, there's conflict in the marriage. You're not going to have children beyond like one years old and not, and, and, and not realize how much conflict children are going to bring you. Once they can walk and talk, there will be conflict. Can I get a witness here? If you're living in a world today without conflict, can I please take the medication you're taking and join you on that journey? Because I look at the Bible and the most peaceful man I know, the Prince of Peace, what's his name, the Prince of Peace? Jesus was in conflict all the time. So if the Prince of Peace lived in a world where he could never escape conflict, he had disciples that were stealing from him. Come on, think about that. He had people that were betraying him, some that were trying to trick him, others that were hating on him. He cast out demons one time, put them in some pigs, set a man free, and the people got so mad they said, get out of here. We wanted our lechon. Who cares if this man was demon-possessed? Jesus is like, hey, he used to be naked, living by a graveyard, demon-possessed. Aren't we happy about that? No, we're just, we're just upset we can't have pork chops and rice anymore. We're mad. Get out of here, Jesus. You doing that? It's like, dude, if loving Jesus is wrong, I don't want to be right. So, so I want to say this today as we talk about making peace. This is not something that you can just, you know, opt out of. Oh, you know, I, I don't need to learn this. I, I don't have any conflict in life. No, come on. You do. Let's, let's just be honest. We all do. Good Christian families have conflict. It's natural. It's a part of life. 
but we need to know how to solve it, make peace. And that should be as common as trouble and conflict in, is in our lives. For the Christian, solving that trouble and being at peace should be in our lives. Amen? We never see Jesus in inner conflict. We never see Jesus inwardly depressed. We never see Jesus like losing his temper and like beating somebody up. Though we did see him whip some people in the temple. Amen? So who knows if a Pastor Joe will ever act like Jesus that one day, you know? What would Jesus do? I read the Bible. I'm going to whip some people today. Take off, my, take off the belt, be chasing you around church. I'm just being like Jesus. Some just want Barney Jesus, right? I love you and you love me. But what about whipping the people at the temple, Jesus? But here's the thing. While he handed out a whooping, he was still doing it in love. Any parents ever hand out a whooping but you're still in love? You know if you whooping your kids and you're like, this is not going to hurt you more than it hurts me. Uh, excuse me. This is not going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm going to feel good after I whoop you. I'm, you know if you're coming to your kids like that, like I'm going to feel better after I do this. Problem. <laughs> you're at a problem. So we should always have a heart of compassion even if we have to discipline. And we have law enforcement here, military folks. I mean, yes, we have to sometimes stop the enemy, stop oppressors. But we shouldn't be like, oh, I'm so happy I'm doing this or locking them up and pushing them down as police officers. No, we should have a heart of justice, compassion, and always love for our enemy. Can I hear an amen? Why? Because God is the greatest peacemaker. God is the greatest peacemaker. He is still a God of justice. He will judge the world, but he wants peace. He wants peace with sinners. From the worst of all sinners you can imagine today, God wants peace. God does not want anyone to go to hell. God is pouring out his love and mercy to you. Peace. Everybody go peace. Look at Colossians. Turn in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And let's look at the colossal peace of God. So if you're thinking today, man, God's angry at me. God doesn't like me because I've done these things that he calls sin. Well, you know what? God doesn't like sin. God hates sin. But what does he do? He loves the sinner. I really believe that. You maybe haven't heard that in a while here, but I'm going to say it again. God hates sin but loves the sinner. God so loved the world. God so loved you. No matter who you are today, please hear my heart. Hear this, Pastor's heart. Uh, it doesn't matter what you've done. What you haven't done, it doesn't matter what people have said about you. God loves you. God loves you. God can forgive you. God wants to forgive you. There is no one here that came to Jesus a different way than the way you'll come. All of us came to Jesus admitting our sins, asking him to save us. So don't feel embarrassed if today you want to come up and ask Jesus in your heart. We'll pray at the end with you. Don't feel like people are looking at you or judging you. We all had to do that. We're all simply admitting, God, we've messed up and done things you haven't wanted to do. I uh, wanted us to do because he's a peacemaker. He wants to make peace. Look at Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus. How much of the fullness dwelled in Jesus? All the fullness. That's why we believe he was God in the flesh, the Son of God. Verse 20. And through him to himself, or rather through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Where were we enemies with God? In our minds because of what? Your evil behavior. But now, somebody say, but now, 
Come on, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Brother Ellie, would you please put up the, the picture of the cross we have from our worship slides? I know we've seen this picture before. There's a new Son of God movie out. I'm not here to critique movies or even to tell you this may be Jesus' uh, look. I don't know. I know he wasn't blonde hair and blue-eyed, okay? Amen. But I just want to give you a picture of the cross, just something for you to think about right now as I share this with you. God is the greatest peacemaker. He sent Jesus in a physical body to suffer for you so you could be at peace with him. Sin separates us from God. In our minds, we do things we ought not to do, and then we act it out. No one teaches my child how to lie, but somewhere in their mind, they're already developing how to lie as a four-year-old, a five-year-old. No one taught you how to have the issues you had in your life. Most of us were a product of just our upbringing and our flesh, and we found out this is the way our life was going to be, and our temptations and troubles were going to be like this. For example, I never chose to have a bad temper. But I can't remember a time when I didn't have one. My mom will tell you from the time I was in kindergarten, I was having a temper. She was having to spank me. But I can never remember a time that I ever chose to be that way. You see, I became an enemy with God. Even unintentional sin was taking a mastery over me. It was because I was cursed in a physical body all the way back to Adam and Eve. Not that I was sick in some way, not saying that's a curse, but a curse separated from God. Our bodies weren't meant to be a wall between us and the spiritual world. In the time of Adam and Eve, our bodies were translucent, and we could walk and live in God's presence without any fear. But the moment Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible said they would die. In the moment you eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. He said they would die. But what died that day? Did they fall over dead? No, their light on the inside, their spiritual life died, and their body became disconnected from God. That's why, think about it, the first thing Adam and Eve realized after they sinned was what? Well, we're naked. <laughs> Look at that. I'm naked. What is this? They had to figure it out. So it's okay to laugh in church. It's okay. The first thing they figured out once the light bulb went off is that they were naked. Their body no longer was a blessing, a translucent intermediate between the spiritual world and God so that they could eat of fruit and interact with God the Spirit. No, now they realized that spiritual things were far from them and all they knew were natural things and the five senses, what their body would tell them, their desires for food their desires for sex, their desires for power. Think about Cain and Abel. The very next chapter in the book of Genesis, a brother kills another brother because of jealousy. Because of jealousy. Has anybody here ever felt jealousy? Imagine if you were in a garden all by yourself and you think you could get away with it. How far would you take your jealousy? Let's just keep it real. Well, they got a better job than I have. They have a better house than I have. They don't deserve it. Don't knock them right out and kill them, the Bible says, with the rock. Why? Because man became sinful. But God, everybody say, but God sent his son to take the sins of the world. What this is saying to us today is that Jesus is our peacemaker. He is saying there is no sin that you've committed that I haven't paid for. This is the punishment you deserve, not just a physical death, but you deserved hell and and in eternity, but I died physically so I could take your place. The blood of Jesus was significant to the Father because it represented a penalty for sin. Now, would you please go back to your notes as we say amen to that? Amen. amen. Now, the gospel 
is the peacemaking means that God gives us. The gospel itself is considered a peacemaker by Paul in Ephesians 6.15. I'll just read it out. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of... So whenever we talk about the gospel, we're bringing what? Peace. We're bringing peace to the world. And what is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Reconciling, bringing peace between the world and sin, uh, the sinners and Jesus. The, the, the gospel tells us that sinners can be in a relationship with God. So if someone goes to hell, let's just keep it real, on judgment day, there's someone there that didn't have their sins forgiven. They didn't allow God to change their life. And he sentenced them to hell, which is a place of punishment for those who reject God. They get exactly what they wanted. They didn't want God in this life, so they don't get him for eternity. On that day, whose fault would it be? Would it be God's fault or theirs fault? Their, their fault, right? Because God made the opportunity to make peace. And that's the thing I want to start off right now in saying. That just like God is offering peace to a world that still doesn't want to listen. You may not be able to fix every problem in your life. Some people will not want to make peace. And you're going to have to be prepared for that. There's going to be some relationships that are going to be broken. And the best thing you can say is give them the gift of goodbye. Here's your gift. Goodbye. But I really want to hope that you're going to be able to say, like God, that I have done all that I can. Because God says he wishes none to perish. He wishes all would come to the cross. He stretches out his hand. Do you remember when Jesus, uh, Judas came to kiss Jesus? What, what did Jesus say to that betrayer that day? You slimy dog, I hope you burn in hell. What did he say to Judas? He said, friend. Was the, what was the first word out of his mouth? Friend, what have you come to do? Think about that. Jesus still wanted peace with his betrayer, that when he came, he didn't call him enemy. He didn't call him a son of the devil. He said, friend. Would you call your betrayer friend as they came to betray you? Hey, friend, what's going on? What are all these soldiers here for? <laughs> what, what's going on, friend? You know it takes a man to do that. And then what did Jesus, oh, I just want to weep right now thinking about what did Jesus say on the cross right before he said it was finished and they're mocking, they're spitting at him. What did he say to the Father on behalf of this world? Forgive them for they know not what they do. So the reality is some people won't want to make peace with you. That is true. But will you do what it takes? Will you stretch out your hand in peace? Some marriages are on the rocks. Will you stretch out your hand, spouse, to the other one and say, I want to walk through with you, right, no matter what it takes. Some children right now are having trouble at home. Maybe your parents aren't even here today, kids. Other parents that are here, your kids are not here. Some have parents and kids here, and they're all not getting along. Whatever you're going through in your family, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Mom, dad, young person, stretching out your hand, even saying to the bad things that have happened in your life, they, they didn't know what they were doing, Father, just forgive them. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to forgive them if you could forgive me. See, the gospel brings peace, and it's the gospel that will bring ultimate peace into our lives. Look at the next point on the, on the notes here. I'm going to make it real simple for you. There's two reasons why we have conflict in life, two real reasons. Number one, both people are in pride, or number two, one person is in pride. Okay, so there is no way around this. If people are in relational conflict, here's your two options, baby. Both y'all in pride or one of you is in pride. There it is. 
Children with your, your kids, if there's rebellion in the home and you're doing your best, they're in pride. They're not listening, right? Parents, if you're not raising your kids up in the way of God and you're just throwing things around in your house and you're trying to wonder why they don't respect you, it's because you're living in pride. You need to walk humbly before them. Not to say their disrespect is warranted. It's just your pride has caused the conflict. Same thing in a marriage. Either both, if you are in trouble in marriage, everybody listen to me. You either both are in pride or one of you is in pride, not willing to work it out. But we're going to believe today that we will be humble in Jesus' name. We will be humble. Amen. Everybody say this with me. I don't know everything. I don't have it all together. But I know someone who does. And I will trust him to fix my mess and whoever else's mess I'm in. In Jesus' name. Come on. Look at James chapter 3, verse 13. Take out the pride out of your life and watch how quickly problems get resolved. Just watch how quickly they'll get resolved. I'm going to give you some examples today, but like with Nancy and I in our marriage, you know, most of the time, I'll be honest with you, it's me and my pride. It's, it's, it's my uh, anger. As we went through uh, about being meek and inheriting the earth, I brought a chart that day. If you missed that message, go back and listen to the message on meekness because, man, that exposes the heart. It really exposed mine. As, even I was making it, it gave me so much wisdom studying the word. But, you know, like for me, I'm easily agitated. Being easily agitated is a form of pride. Because it's, a, it's rooted in selfishness. It's like, well, if I come home and the dinner's not ready or the, the family's not running a certain way and I begin to be agitated and I begin to become short-tempered with my wife, why is that? Because I'm being selfish. And I either have to humble myself and say, I'm wrong. Take your time, honey. I'm going to be patient with you or I'm going to live in a house of conflict. You understand? It won't go away. Going to bed won't make it go away. Time will not make conflict go away. How many knows that? Know that. The only thing that will make it go away is humility. And I know some of you may be in relationships with people that are not saved. Humility works no matter where you are and who you are. True humility. Look at this scripture and tell me if you agree with it. I can't force you to agree with it, but I certainly see this as, as true. James 3.13. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Thank you. That's why I want you to also have your own Bible so you can take notes. This is something you'll want to write down. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Okay? So if you're in a conflict with somebody, parents with your kids, kids with your parents, on the job with your boss or coworker, and you think you're so smart that you're going to be a smart aleck to people. You're going to be so smart, you're going to smart off and be sarcastic. The Bible says you're not as wise as you think you are. If you're going to be smart and be like, well, I'm going to tell you, honey, what I think, and I got all your problems picked out. Look how smart I am that I can do all of this. No, the Bible says if you really had wisdom, you would be humble. Look at right here, verse 14. Come on, somebody. It's getting quiet, but I think I'm preaching good. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quote unquote, does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
See, when you're arguing out of selfishness, well, I deserve this. And yes, you do have rights. And yes, you do need your feelings met. But you'll know, and we're going to show you how to real recognize it today. When you step out of that and you stop being gracious about letting your needs be known, but now you're being selfish about it. And it's all about you and getting your way. Because, you know, you're 14 and you know everything, young people, right? And, and you're in a marriage and I know everything, honey. This is the way it needs to be done. And I know everything, boss. When you start getting into that selfish ambition the bible says you're acting demonic why because where did where did the root of selfishness come to this planet through through satan see satan had a choice in heaven he made one to rebel against god god created free creatures free creatures are not truly free unless they have a choice he said here's your choice two trees it was represented in there that early stage and the devil was right there saying Here's my lie. I'm going to give it to you right at the beginning. Everybody listen to this. He says, here's my best lie for you to go with, uh, for, for me to give it to you, for, for, for you to fall into this. He says, if you eat of this tree, you shall be like God. That was his best lie. Selfishness. God told you not to eat of this tree. But I'm telling you, if you eat of this tree, you'll be just like God. Now come and take a taste of this. Do you want it now? And is that not the same lie he sells to all of us all the time? You don't need your wife. You don't need your husband. Come on, you're in control. You're a self-made man. You're a self-made woman. You don't need your parents. Your kids don't appreciate what you do. You deserve to have a pity patty party. Your boss don't know what you know. Work as hard as you do. And all of that conflict, where does it come from? Right there, selfishness. I don't need a God to tell me what to do. I don't need to be in relationship with people. I don't need to admit I'm wrong. They're all wrong. And now watch how far that will take people. Watch how far selfish ambition will take people. Why do people murder? Why do people murder? A, a girl here in southern Illinois, 14 years old, stabbed her 11-year-old sister 40 times to death. 40 times. Why? Because she said, my sister did not appreciate me. Selfishness at its worst. A man beheads his special needs son over his sink. People walk by and see this disgusting beheading. He said, because this disabled child was a burden to me and my family. On the south side to the east side, the west side, violence on the street. Young girl from Ireland was doing her internship, hanging out with her friends at Wicker Park. A guy and a young lady jumped out of their car with a bat and beat her to death so that today she is still paralyzed years later, drinking out of a straw. Why? Because that's what they felt that they deserved in life, and she didn't deserve it. They had a tough upbringing, and they're going to make someone else feel their pain. From the murders to wars. Why does somebody blow, uh, uh, take their plane and, and, and send it into one of our towers? Yes, false religion. But what did that false religion place into their heart? A, 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 a sense of entitlement that they deserve more. Islam deserves more. I need to take it because nobody's going to give it to me. The Bible says it's rooted in demonic powers. So even in our small conflicts with the woman at the checkout line or the cell phone provider who are on the phone trying to figure out, how is this bill $500 again? I thought I was on the $99 plan. Or when you're talk, talking to cable providers, no matter what little tiffs you have in life, they still have that same root, that same sprinkle of demonic. Just think about it. Anthrax can come in big ton amounts, but it can also just kill you in just little amounts, can it? 
Sprinkle a little anthrax in your water and you'll see what will happen, right? Well, don't do it, but you know what I mean by that. <laughs> Let's not experiment there. I'm going to read this whole thing again. I just got to read it in context. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. For if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is unspiritual, earthly, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, this is where you nudge your spouse, come on, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Oh, dear God, I wish I had a church in here. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You want peace in your family, parents? So, peace into your home you got to sow it to reap it well they don't listen to me sow it someone's going to listen you have five kids they're all going crazy sow it one of them will get it and it'll be worth it you can wash your hands of the other when they get 18 you can do what my mom did give them a car give them a birthday money for gas money and say god bless you na 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 hey 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 goodbye i'm like gulp you mean all the times I ran away and all of that stuff now I don't have a choice you're kicking me out yep and I said what did you and dad do that day after you kicked me out did you cry she said no we put on our dancing shoes and we we celebrated I had a mom that just really could tell it as it is I don't know where I got mine from but I think you can guess or you know my goodness but that's the way it is it's be, before you write off relationships and divorces happen. We don't think they're unpardonable sins. God can forgive you. But if you haven't learned from that divorce, you'll get another divorce, right? The idea here that the, the, the James is painting for us is that we need to start sowing peace to reap peace. I love what Keith Green said in one of his songs. You can go to the end of the road and still not find what you're looking for because you'll still be there. See, you may think, I'm going to go over here into this relationship and find something different, but you won't because you'll still be there. You will carry the trouble you have with you wherever you go. You'll travel to the end of that road, to that new relationship. You'll be on your third marriage. Young people, you'll be away at college. You'll be sitting in your dorms, and all of a sudden, you and your bestie will be getting in the same kind of fight you and your parents used to get into, and you'll say, why is that? Because everywhere you go, you bring yourself with you. So don't, don't do a 100-yard sprint from your problems today. Don't run away from them. If people want to leave, that's okay. That's, that's what we talked about at the beginning. I'm going to get into that now. If people want to leave you, that's okay. But I want to ask everyone here to stick in in the long haul and do that all you can do and keep sowing peace, sowing peace. No matter where you are right now, if you're looking at a barren land, ain't no peace in my house, Pastor. You start planting those seeds today. And I'm going to show you how to do it. Amen? Here we go. Here's seven major areas of conflict in our life. Marriage, parents with their kids, kids with their parents. Number three, relatives. How many have some conflict with their relatives? Amen. Both hands up. Shake them all around, left foot up. On the job, neighbors, anybody ever have any just crazy neighbors? Okay, then you must be the crazy ones, right? 
Because if you if no one's here going, oh, I got crazy neighbors, and you're the one. Oh, it's anyways. Lord, forgive me. And somebody got it. Okay. Friends, isn't that something? We had a conflict with friends. Weren't they supposed to be there to help us and make life easier? Man, sometimes, you know, I watch these reality shows, and I'm like, dear God, why do you guys keep hanging out? Like, what is wrong with you, real housewives of wherever? Like, stop hanging out with her. Like, the moment she told so-and-so about this such a thing and had a picture and put it on Twitter, you should have stopped hanging out with them. Not inviting them over to some barbecue. Just pray for me whenever I watch on TV because you're more sanctified than me. That's okay. But how many know, like, it doesn't matter how old you get, friendships can just be so full of drama. It's like I... Like, I thought we were supposed to be friends. Oh, man, it's like, you know, the old saying, with friends like you, who needs enemies, right? And then, of course, um, we have church conflict. That would never happen at Metro Praise. We're, we're the church of the first perfect. First perfect church. Welcome, all the perfect people to a perfect church. No one ever gets upset with me. Of course they don't. No one ever thinks the worship music is too loud. No one ever thinks about discipleship being too intrusive or, you know, accountability being too nosy. No one ever thinks that. Come on. Come on, give me a break. Oh, I wish that was true, but it's not. These are seven areas of conflict. If you can think of any more, just write them down in your notes. But I tried to give you the best general outline of where you're going to find conflict. And like I said, if you can go a week without conflict in any of these areas, please let me know what medication you're taking, you know, or let me know what closet you're hiding in because I want to take you out of your closet. Like, I don't have any conflict. Do you have any friends? <laughs> Do you have a job? Do you have any family, right? Because if you have family, friends, job, you're going to have conflict, now, I'm not trying to say, like, we're all just, like, in this, this extreme conflict every day. No, I think that's uncommon. You know, we're, we're, you know, marriages are not always on the rocks, and kids aren't always acting crazy, and jobs are not always hard. Yeah, I get that. But if you just look at your life, there's usually always some kind of conflict going on. Some type of friend that got offended because last time you went out, you didn't invite him out. Some type of thing maybe that your wife's holding on to because you didn't do this the right way on Valentine's Day. You know, this kind of thing that happened at your, at your job and this coworker just can't let it go. Hello, does anybody live in the real world? Okay, because I need real people to preach to this morning, amen? I didn't, I didn't have, this is not the church of the first uh, angel assembly with Gabriel here and Michael. <laughs> How did you get here today, brother? Oh, I came here with the angels, just flapped my wings and... Here I am. No angels here today, right? But we are full of God and we can do this. Here are four general guidelines that will bring peace, that will help you to be a peacemaker. We're going to go through these. I'm going to read them all at first. Then we're going to go through the scriptures. But here's the questions I want you to ask yourself as I ask myself. I mean, all of us need this. Here it is. Number one, is the conflict worth it? That's the first thing. You just got to ask yourself, is this even worth my time? As a pastor dealing with church conflicts, sometimes I can spend on Facebook and phone calls hours, and I would have never spent 10 minutes that week with Tito. And it's like God says to me, why are you giving all your time to this conflict where you could have just given half that time to a young man in the youth group, taking him out for ice cream, whatever, hung out with him, half hour would have changed his life. you got to ask yourself, is this even worth my time? Okay. Some conflicts are, obviously, but that's the first question. And we'll look at Proverbs 19.11 for that. Number two, is the person I'm talking to teachable? Because if it's just like me having a conversation with the wall, you know, save, I'm going to save my breath. Life's too short for that, right? 
you know, if, if, if we're in a conversation and you don't care what I have to say and you're just going to keep telling me what you have to say and you're not listening, there's not even a point of carrying that conversation on anymore. So you got to ask yourself, is the person teachable? And, and obviously, both people need to ask that. So if they're in a conflict with you, they're asking you that question, you know. And, and, and literally, all people need to be teachable. Like, even as a pastor and as a, as a person that has a lot of friendships and I'm, I'm working in conflict with the church, you know, you can teach me. What, what can you teach me? You can teach me about how you react to things and how your feelings are. A lot of this is relational. So, yes, we can learn from each other. Uh, number three, and we'll uh, rather we'll learn about that in Proverbs 9, 8 and Matthew 7, 6. Number three, am I in authority or under authority? Because that's a good question. So if, if teenagers, you're arguing with your parents, you need to ask yourself that question. Are they my authority? Because that's going to change the way you talk to them. You don't have the right to disrespect them. If you're with your teachers and you're talking to them such and such a way, you need to stop and check yourself before you wreck yourself. Amen? And I'm teaching my kids right now, there won't be no stuff if you don't start no stuff. Because I'm the authority here. Amen? I'm the bread, bacon, winner, and all this. And I don't owe you anything but some air to breathe, a place to sleep, and some food to eat. I don't owe you the pizza. I'll, I'll, I'll put cheese and bread and a cup of water on a tin plate and push it under your door if I have to. Amen? I'll be put up in jail and you have to come visit me. But no, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying to an extreme level. You know what I'm talking about. It's like people think that uh, we owe them things. But hey, if we're an authority, you owe that person respect. So before you tell that police officer, before you tell your boss, ask yourself the question, who's an authority? And for those of us who are in authority, find ourselves the boss on the job or the owner or the parent, we better be careful with that authority because God's going to hold us responsible to how we treat people and what we do with that authority. Amen? And we'll learn about that in Romans 13.1. And then lastly, can I control myself in this situation? James 1.19. Because if you cannot control yourself, you need to take a break, baby. You just need to pause and say, look, this conflict will be here after I jog around the house a couple times. But I ain't ready right now. And I'll just be honest. I know you probably can't imagine this. But sometimes with Nancy and I, I'm like, I can't talk about it right now. What room do you want to go in? And I'll go in this room because I got to calm down. Y'all look at man. Y'all look at me crazy right now. Has anybody ever been like that before? You're like, no, I'm perfectly at peace, honey. Let's discuss our conflict. Of course, I won't take it personal at all. I won't lose my temper. No, let's be real. Sometimes you got to stop and ask yourself. Same thing on the job, wherever you're at in life. Like, whoa, is this a good time for me to bring this up? Because if you bring it up the wrong time, the wrong way to your boss, you're fired, right? Some of you are bosses. You have good employees, and you might get upset with them. You bring it up the wrong way, they may quit and get discouraged, and that may not be what you want at the end of the day. And that's James 1.19. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Okay, let's go to Proverbs 19.11, asking ourselves the question, is this problem worth it? And then I'm just going to give you some quick things on how to solve these problems. But I think if we can get this first part down, it will be half the battle, if not three-fourths of it. Because a lot of the conflicts we're in, we're not evaluating ourselves in the midst of it, asking these questions. One of the things that I've realized in myself in maturity and as I counsel marriages and kids and all this, the most mature people in those conversations that have heavenly wisdom are peace-loving because they can take a look at themselves. If a child that's in a conflict with their parents, if they can just look at themselves and be, be honest and go, yeah, I haven't really been doing good in school. I understand why my mom's been upset. You'll see that in counseling. You know, you, you, there'll be conflict, and they'll get into the, the pastor's office, and when, that, when the child will be honest, we can start getting a breakthrough, right? And it's the same thing with the parent. If the parent will be honest and go, 
you know, I'm not always the best parent. I, you know, I, sometimes I lose my temper. I've cussed at him before. I don't always keep the same discipline. One day I'll throw a, throw a pot at him. The next day I'll take away the TV, you know. You know, I, I, could, I could do better. Well, you know, the moment that happens, we're ready to solve a problem. But if we can't get past that, there's just, there's, you know, I could say all these helpful hints I'm going to give you. And there's a hundred helpful hints. Everybody's got their own. But I'll give them to you, some of them that I have. But really, if you can't be real and take down the wall, humble yourself and ask yourself these questions, those won't help you at all. You'll just blow right by those things, you know, uh, like count to ten before you, you know, you, you say what you're going to say, if it's going to be, you know, controversial. You, you'll count to ten, boom, 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 you know, one. And you'll let it out. You won't even care. I counted to 10, so I'll count to 100. I'm going to still tell you as, uh, as it is, you know. But that's the point because you don't understand what's going on. But when you can really look at yourself and be real with yourself, that conflict will start to resolve uh, most times. Like I said, sometimes it won't. And those people you just have to walk away from. And, and I've been in that situation where it's like, Okay, God, I've really looked at myself here, and I, you know, like in the church. Okay, God, I've, I've heard what they're saying, and I've looked at myself. My wife was in one meeting. She counted probably six times I apologized, six times as a pastor. Oh, man, I'm so sorry you took it that way. No, that's not what I meant. A couple, couple minutes later, oh, you felt that way too? Oh, that was definitely not what I meant. I'm sorry. Six times at the end of the discussion, did they apologize once? They did not even apologize one time. You see, that, at that point, I just, you know, you go home, you feel bad, but, you know, you wrap up that gift of goodbye, you put a little chocolate on it, and you just go, na, 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 hey, hey. Because, you know, not everybody's going to be on your train, right? And I'm not saying, like, I hate people, but I'm just saying, hey, if you don't want to be on the Joe train, we're going to stop at this stop right here. Beep, beep, you can get out, and whoever wants to be my friend can get on. Is anybody else like that today? Or do you all like having haters and people that cause drama in your life? Do I got any drama mamas up in here? So be like, oh no, they, no, no, I keep everybody in my life. That's why you got so much conflict. Let's work it out, and if we don't work it out, I'm moving on. Okay, here we go. Proverbs 19:11. It's not what I said. It's what God says. Let's look at it here. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So that's the first thing. Is this thing even worth it? And, uh, you know, in a marriage situation, for me, I'm going to tell on myself a lot here, you know, the, the, the dinner time for me can be very like, like a time of tenseness and, and anxiety because what happens is my wife gets upset. She tells me not to do it, but I keep doing it. I'll work till about 5, and then I want to go to the gym. Anybody likes to go to the gym? Come on. And I'll go to the gym from like 5 to 7. But what have I skipped during that time? dinner. So I'm like a 37-year-old man, got a little bit of weight on me, like low blood sugar. I don't know what it is, but you ever seen like those Snicker commercials? The guy acts all crazy, they pop a Snickers in his mouth. I am that guy times a, times a million. So I come home, and literally something's out of place with the kids. I'm like, I'm jumping on that. I'm agitated, right? Something happens with my wife. I'm agitated. Well, you see, there are times where I can put down my foot and, and be sincere and say, well, we said dinner was this time, and I said that the kids couldn't have toys in the living room but only in the basement, right? Like I could claim my right to be right, but I have to understand I'll probably cause some conflict because my attitude is not right. Does everybody get that? Like I'm right but my attitude's not right. It's like the old thing of saying it's not how you say it. Uh, excuse me, it's not what you're saying, it's what? How you're saying it. And here's something to take, to take note, married couples. Uh, the being right isn't all what it's cracked up to be. Because if you want to be right all the time, you'll start to find yourself being right and lonely. Because being right is not all what it's cracked up to do. I got any people that have made some compromises up in the place that know what I'm talking about? 
being right isn't all it's cracked up. You'll be right all by yourself. So sometimes it's just better to go, okay, uh, this is a chance for me to give, uh, for God to give me some glory because it says it's to the man's glory or the woman's glory who overlooks an offense. So it's like God says, oh, you overlooked that traffic offense? You overlooked that thing that that boss or coworker said to you? You overlooked it because it really wasn't worth your time? Glory, peace of God, peace, there it is. So is it worth your peace? Because you may have to get it on. And when the times, because if everything is a big deal, then nothing becomes a big deal. If you're always easily agitated and everything is your right and your right, eventually no one will want to hear what you have to say anymore. And that's what I'm really learning, honestly, is learning like in the church and in relationships. It's just how to make the conflict the most beneficial. Because things can come good out of conflict, right? So you got to choose the right ones that really make it beneficial. Now let's go to the next Proverbs, Proverbs 9, 8. Is the person I'm talking to teachable? Proverbs 9 8. Is anybody getting something out of this? Can I hear an amen? amen? Come on, I am like preaching myself happy. And it's, you know, as a pastor, it's so difficult because there's seven areas I'm trying to give you examples in. But is anybody getting some examples today? I'm, I know I'm kind of shooting them all out there at one time. And in, in the hunting uh, scenario, it's called a buckshot, which means I'm not giving you one slug, I'm giving you about 15 little BBs that are coming out. Are you all getting some good examples? Amen. Talk to your life group leaders, your one-on-one leaders. If you feel there's something you need personal instruction in, we're certainly here for that. And I also want to say this as well, that Pastor Berto and Griselda make themselves always available for marriage counseling and uh, for, for any kind of counseling uh, with their kids or anything going on. So we have that here at the church. We promise you one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We promise you pastoral counseling and a life group that you can be a part of. That's a three-tier level of counseling and God and all that goodness. Amen? If not, there's Dr. Phil five days a week. No, I kid. I kid. Anybody else watch Dr. Phil just to feel normal? I'm the only dude. My wife and I, we watch that. I'm like, I would tell him this. I would tell him that. You know, it kind of makes us feel normal. Proverbs 9, 8. Don't rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. And turn quickly to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. When you're in this conflict, ask, who am I talking to? Am I talking to someone that's really wanting to listen? Parents, some of the best things you can do with your children is give them a silent treatment. Is to say, I'm done talking about it. Until you change your attitude, I'm done talking about it. Because I know with my mom, that would be the most fiery thing, man, because I would want to talk and yell and fight. But when she would give me that silent treatment, and by the way, all these advice, please just take them or leave them, you know, like chicken, chew the meat, spit the bones, whatever you can do, uh, do it the way that you feel is best. But here's just, just general advice. With parents and conflicting teenagers, I know a lot of times there's parents that just want to keep teaching and saying the same thing over and over again, and you're, you're realizing that there's a brick wall. Of course you need to keep saying it, but at some point you need to start being, a, uh, what I would advise is being silent with them and saying, I've already told you how I feel about that. I'm not talking about it anymore, and I'm not changing my mind. Now, that doesn't mean, kids, you can go home to your parents and say, uh, my, my pastor told you to have a silent treatment with me. Just don't talk anymore. It, it will be good. Just don't talk. No. Then you'll get the slappeth treatment. You'll get the blessing of slap. 
No, it, it's, I'm just, I think some parents are getting what I'm, what I'm saying there. Obviously, I'm not old enough as a parent to have rebellious teenagers, but I can just speak as a former rebellious teenager who loved to argue and live in that conflict. When my, when my mom would do that, it would do a lot. Now, I would say in marriage, uh, that silent treatment will not be good because that's your way of shutting down, and you guys are on equal authority now, uh, equal levels, and, uh, and there has to be an openness of communication so that you're not their parent in that sense. Amen? Uh, uh, even though I do believe the husband's ahead of the wife, but I don't. But there's not. A, they're not children, so I don't think silent treatments work with adults. And as a matter of fact, that is the worst thing you could ever do to me. So let's say there's a problem in the church. We send one of our leaders to go to you. You ignore the leader. You treat them like that. Like that is the most immature thing you can do. Just tell us why you don't like us. Tell us where you're going to go, and that way we can pray and bless you. Don't run and try to hide. That's like a big fat peeve. And the same thing in marriages. Whenever you see one spouse say, "Well, I just can't talk to him anymore. I just can't talk to her anymore," you're getting down to the foundation now and it's going to start hurting really fast and you're going to break that marriage apart. Think about the silent treatment as you taking a sledgehammer and beating apart your foundation. It's going to crumble because communication is the bedrock of love in, in the marriage. It has to be communicated. Okay, amen? So I just want to let you know that when we're talking about is this person teachable, you got to use it in ways that fit the appropriate situation. So on the job, you may be able to say, well, I'm just not going to talk to Peggy anymore. You know, we just don't get along. She's not going to listen to me anyway. But you can't do that with your wife. Can I hear an amen? Matthew 5, 7. Don't give dogs what is sacred. I love Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Make it country and tell us how it is. Don't give dogs what is sacred. And don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they'll trample on you underfoot and then tear you to pieces. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a dog or a pig. Come on, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't be a dog or a pig. Don't be ignorant. Don't be that way. And if you're talking to people, and, and, and this, like I said, has more to do where these type of applications would have to do with jobs, uh, traffic, uh, different things that you're doing in life, man, don't try to change those people. Has anybody here ever tried to change the cable company, the cell phone company? How did that go for you? After your blood pressure shot up through the ceiling, right, did you change, that, did you change anything? They may have just looked, you know, put the phone on mute and talked to their manager. Can I give this crazy woman a $25, you know, thing so she'll shut up? That's how they're taught to be in those places, you know, cell phone companies. Just give them a discount so they'll leave us alone. But think about it. In traffic, you screaming and hollering through your window, have you ever helped anybody become a better driver? No. It's not worth it. So you've got to make those decisions. When is it worth it? This next one, Romans 13.1. Am I in authority or am I under authority? Rachel or uh, who do we have today? Rachel, would you come, please? I think it is Rachie Rach. Has she gone to be with her baby? Is she coming? Amen. As she comes in, let's just give her the loudest hand clap she's ever heard in her entire life. There she is. She's the closer. If you're not here, we can't shut her down. Amen. It's so funny because I've watched these messages online, and um, you'll have Rachel come up, but yet I'll preach for another 15 minutes. You guys have seen that. But you know the way I think about it? It's like an airplane. They just don't go, whoopsh. They don't just land like a helicopter. They got to take their time. You know what I'm talking about. Put up your seat bags. Put away your trays. We're going to be coming in for a landing in the next 20 minutes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody been on a plane? That's how, that's how, that's how Metro Praise lands its sermons. Here we are. Put up your seat backs. We're getting ready here. Amen. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to what? 
the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, of course, I believe in the American Revolution. I believe in women who are being abused and children who are being abused to get out of there as soon as possible. And I believe that uh, we should defend ourselves. But that's not the context here of what it's talking about. What it's talking about is in peaceable societies and in general working relationships, those authorities are there by God because God is a God of authority. So take, for example, like your job. You love your job. Uh, everybody loves their job to some extent because they're getting paid. Some love it more than others. But let's say you're just tolerating your job. Well, do you not want to have a company and no longer a job? Of course you don't. You want a job, right? So if everybody on the company was rebellious and didn't do what they were supposed to, would there be a job anymore? No. Now, for those of you who love your job, conflict takes away from the joy of it, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you come to work, there's somebody there with a bad attitude, takes away from the momentum and the and the uh, you know the service that you're doing. Maybe you work construction, and that guy comes with a bad attitude every day, every day. It just takes away from it. But you got somebody there with a good attitude, man, it makes the time go by. Maybe you work in an office, the person next to you makes you smile. What I'm trying to say is whether you're the person way at this end of the spectrum that doesn't even like your job but still has to go, or the person who loves your job, can't you see that authority is a good thing there and everybody working together is a good thing? Can I hear an amen? And it's the same thing in the home. Husbands in this church, we hold you responsible for your marriages. We don't believe that the woman is a lesser person. She is not your child, but we believe God needs to speak to you first about wisdom and needs to guide your family. Now, she can have just as much input, and God can speak to her at the same time. But the point is, if God is not speaking to you, there will never be peace in that home. And so, men, we call you to a higher standard. We say, men, be under the authority of God and have your wives follow your humble leadership. The reason why Nancy follows my leadership is not because I'm a prideful leader stomping my fist on the, the, the kitchen table. It's because I'm a loving, submissive to God kind of leader. She sees in me a quality that reminds her of her heavenly father. And all men need to have that. And the same thing women. Women, you need to come into that marriage with the authority God's given you. You're carrying the heart of that marriage and that relationship. You may be the primary caregiver to the kids or something that's traditional, or you may be working, but either way, you're the ones, uh, one that's the glue that's holding it together. And if you don't take that position serious, and if everything to you is a nitpick and a nag, you're going to tear apart the joy of your husband. There's a reason why they want to come in and shut off uh, the wife and turn on the game. It's because they don't want nagging and nitpicking. It's like, yeah, maybe his job is the garbage, but him forgetting it today, is it worth you starting another fight over? Know your place in the home and be secure and, and, and really say, you know what? I'm in authority here too. I'm not threatened by this. They're not taking something away. I can, I can work with this. But once again, sometimes marriages and, and, and relationships can get a lot more serious than that. I'm just trying to speak in general terms. Is anybody following me there? And then lastly, can I control myself in this situation? James 1.19 quickly. James chapter 1 verse 19. Can I be responsible in this situation? So what I advise uh, for parents and for marriages if you, you know you got to handle a situation, let's say I, I have an issue with my wife and we need to handle it, or you have an issue with your kids, you're going to have to bring it up. Bring it up at the right time 
when you're at peace. Because if you're not at peace, I won't tell you how I really feel. It just unbridled feelings will not make the, the situation better. And I've told on myself here, and I, and I, I even do this just cautiously because I love my mom so much. But that would probably be the one thing I would have to say looking back that my mom did that contributed. Uh, like I said, when she would give me the silent treatment and let things cool down and then do it another way, it would be better. But when my mom would go off the handle, okay, I would get beat with shoes. I would, I, I would get beat with, my mom broke two uh, cooking spoons on my butt when I was a little kid. I'm talking about one time my mom tried to pick up the whole TV because I was playing video games too late at night. She tried to pick it up and she tried to throw it across the room. And I felt so bad for her. I literally walked over and I'm like, I'll pick it up and throw it for you. Like, does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like when you get bigger than your mom, fellas, it's like, man, I feel bad for my mom. She can't beat me and scream and do stuff like she used to. Let me just help you here. Ah. Now continue yelling at me. I just felt bad. You know, it's like my mom's like, and you in these video games and ah, forget it. But but seriously, it's it's like if we can't control ourselves, husbands, we can't control ourselves. Let me just say this as well. There's another buckshot. Husbands, if you ever talk to your wives as you would talk to a dude you're about ready to fight, you have crossed the line. You guys know what I'm talking about. I want to give you an example, you know, but I'm not. But if you're yelling red-faced at your wife, you know, you're not, you're not hitting her, but you're yelling like you would if you were at a ball game and somebody stepped on your shoe or something, like you're about ready to get in a fight, you have crossed the line so, so, so badly. You need to stop, shut up, and walk away from that conversation because women don't deserve to be talked to like that. I know some women can say, bring it on, I'll handle it, I'll punch him in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? We got women MMA fighters now, I'm so scared of them. You don't even know who you're facing. Okay, but women, let us treat you like a delicate flower, may we? Okay, I know you tatted up and you got your hair slicked back. You ready to roll. You got your homies on the line. You ready to jump somebody. Okay, but we're going we gonna to just take a step back, amen, and treat you like that delicate flower. Here's what the Bible says. My dear brothers and sisters, come on, God is speaking to us here. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In closing, I'm going to name them off to you on the notes. Here's five things you're going to have to have into uh, your peace pie. If you're going to have peace and serve it up and make it, because you got to make peace, right? How do you make it? Is it like jerk chicken? Is it like arroz cocandules? How do you make it? Here's the ingredients. You'll figure out what to put where to your taste, to your family's taste. But here are the ingredients to make peace. You need God. You need love. You need wisdom. You need humility. And you need forgiveness. Quickly, I'm going to give you a couple examples. In my wife and I's marriage, we have what's called a code yellow and a code red. When we notice conflict is coming, we'll say code yellow to let us both become aware we need to stop what we're doing and readjust the conversation. 
If we find ourselves going further and further into conflict, and sometimes we'll just jump in, we'll say code red. What that means is we both have to stop doing what we're doing. Code yellow means we're going to make an adjustment. Code red means we're going to stop. Something like that helps me because I'm the most densest dude you will ever meet. Think of like the Al Bundy type of husband type guy. That is how I am with women's emotions. I make my girls cry. I make every girl in my life cry. Every staff member, every friend. If you are a young lady or a woman and you're going to be anywhere in my life, you will cry at some point or another. Can I get a witness from all the women? You will cry. I pro- all of them have cried. I made. I was just hanging out with my wife yesterday, talking. I was like, Hannah, go downstairs. I need to say goodbye to your mom. And I'm like, what happened to her? Well, she's mad you sent her down. You know, I didn't even understand. What is she crying for? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Parents and kids, consistency, consistency, consistency. So we have prayer time every night. And whenever we have family dinner, so it's not all the time, we are consistent to let each other talk without interruption and to pray for each other and to talk about our day. And then whenever there's a problem, we sit down in the family and we deal with it together with the word of God. And moms and dads, my my wife and I will apologize too sometimes. So the big word there is consistency, family dinners, because what we're doing is not waiting for a fight to break out before we spend time together. We should be building a good foundation of, of life and love together so that when problems come, we can make a withdrawal. Think of it like this. You're making deposits so that when troubles come, you can make a withdrawal. Hey, I love you, Bethany, because you remember we were playing yesterday? She was my five-year-old. Remember we were playing yesterday? Remember we went singing songs, you know, did this, this, and this? See, we need to work through this now because we do all this together. But if all you're having is conflict and you're not consistent, then it will override the good things. And then that child's being brought up in a troubled home. Uh, Relatives. The best thing that I say with relatives is really what we were saying with number one, is it worth it? If you only see your relatives a few times a year, it's like, man, just keep it to yourself, right? That's my biggest advice for relatives because every time, and I I could get real specific and embarrass my relatives if they ever watch this, so I won't, but uh, most of the time they have heard from you your opinion so much that they think anytime you repeat it, you're demeaning them and putting them down because that's like a, a rub. So if there's already issues in relationships, I would just say drop it unless it's like like life or death, you know? So for me, it's like some of my family's not saved. Some of my family deals with alcoholism, and I continually bring it up. Well, it just causes fights all the time now. So now it's just like, hey, I love you. Glad you're here. Love praying for you. Here's, here's you know, shrimp from the Barbie, whatever. That's the best example. Here's a hot dog, right? Uh, and then, of course, if you have relatives that you see often, apply all those principles. Work through it. Uh, job. You know, I I give that advice once again, is the person teachable? If you truly want to help somebody on your job and they're not teachable, just let it go. It's not your responsibility. If you're the boss, give them a few chances, then fire them. You do do not have to pay somebody to give you an attitude. There's too many workers that you can find to do it. So I would just say look at that teachable aspect as a good example. Uh, With your neighbors, once again, is the conflict worth it? I remember uh, we got into a big conflict with my neighbor, and it absolutely did nothing. It did nothing good. I probably would have been better just to have let let that bird feeder alone, which is a whole long story. Because, of course, fights with your neighbors over nothing anyway, you know, a nothing burger anyway. This was over a beef burger. Bird feeder. I'm Russian. Friends. Everybody say friends. Here's examples with your friends right here. In friendship, here's what I say with friends. I got a whole saying, so I got to take my time. If you want, write it down. If we cannot solve our problem biblically, we have a problem 
theologically, and we need a man or woman of God to solve it for us peaceably. Okay? If we have a problem that we can't solve biblically, it's because we have an issue theologically, and we need a mediator to bring it together peaceably. And the Bible talks about bringing another person with you. So these are good friends. These are people you love. And it's just you're going head to head. And it's like you're looking at the Bible a different way because that's the kind of friends I'm talking to here, okay? Because, you know, I would give this advice differently if we weren't Christians, but we're supposed to be Christians. And, and, and so we should ultimately be going to the Bible and saying, well, I shouldn't have did, or excuse me, uh, you shouldn't have did this because the Bible said. That's going to ultimately what be what's going to be your, your argument. Has anybody have ever had a Christian fight? I'm not talking like a hood fight behind the church. I mean, I mean, in the, behind the school. I'm talking about has anybody ever had a fight in church with Christians? Amen. What is it really going to come down to? Well, the Bible says this, and I think you're wrong because the Bible said it. And then the other person will go, well, I think you're wrong too because the Bible says it. See, you're having a problem over the Bible differing theologically. That's why you need a person of peace to come in and, and, and solve it peaceably, to really side it out and, uh, you know, feel where the wisdom is in this. Maybe both of you are wrong because that could be an option, or one is wrong. Amen? Somebody say Matthew 18. And the church, here it is. Everybody say this with me. The pastor is always right. Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> I'm half kidding, but let's stand and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on, let's clap. Not for me, but for Jesus. I'm not telling you clap for me. Clap for his word. Amen. Some of you were caught off guard. Let's do it again. Let's clap because Jesus is the greatest peacemaker. Amen. Hallelujah. No, seriously, in, in the church, I would go by the authority thing. I would say, who's an authority? And then I would go under, you know, can we resolve this? So uh, in our church, and altar workers, would you come, please? In, in our church, we have bylaws which basically say our leaders can't do anything immoral, steal, abuse, you know, different things. Thank you, my brother. Can't do anything like that. Uh, we also have doctrinal commitments that we say, you know, like this confession up here. We're going to commit to these things. And then we have commitments with the finances that we're not going to steal or be shady with finances okay everybody say theological everybody say character and everybody say finances thank you so in the church if those issues come up you have what we call a code red issue you need to go to one or two of the elders or pastors and say i saw another leader do something that's totally against the character of the bible I saw one of them stealing, or I'm hearing about stealing going on, or um, I see that they're teaching something that's, that's, that's totally wrong. Okay, that's a major issue. All other issues than that, you should solve amongst yourselves. Don't try to take the time of the leadership to get involved in petty friend disagreements. Go back to the friendship thing. Give grace to people in the church like we give grace to you, you know? Uh, how many times have you broke your word? How many times have you let people down? Excuse me. And the church loves you, forgives you. I mean, we're a family here, right? I mean, sometimes don't you come in a little agitated? You get a little bit, people get on your nerves. Well, that's normal. Let's not make that a big deal. So if it can be solved by yourself, go ahead and do it. If it's a major issue, bring up the leadership. And then if you need help and you say, you know what? I'm really not getting this thing done. We have what's called a problem-solving contract that we actually have people sign in the 201 Bible class that says, I'm going to go to a mediator before I go to Facebook, before I go to my relatives and make Metro Praise look like a cult, I'm going to involve the leadership. So either A, 
go directly to leaders because it's a big, bad thing. B, settle it on your own. Or C, come with a teachable heart and say, hey, you know, I got some questions. I've been trying to work it out. It's not getting worked out. And I just wanted to come to you guys first. Amen. We'll be called children of God because God is the peacemaker and we're being like him. Isaiah 9, 6 says that he is the prince of peace. 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11, look at this. Who would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and what? I want you to think about this in closing. Let's put up this final quote here. It's going to bless you in closing today. Conflict in this life may be unavoidable, but the choice to make and keep your peace is your decision. Today, decide to make in your life the peace of the Holy Spirit, how you're going to live. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And if people don't want the peace you offer, just femo, baby. Forgive them and move on. Look at your neighbor and go, choo-choo. Because this is what we're going to do. We're going to love the unlovable. We're going to forgive the unforgivable. We're going to be patient with the impatient and kind to the rude. We will be peacemakers in a world full of troublemakers. Why? Because we're children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful service today. Before we go, would you just search your heart and see if you need to repent of any conflict you've been causing? Just take 30 seconds before we dismiss. Thank you for your patience. The band's going to play lightly in the background. We'll dismiss and pray, but just search your heart. Do you need to repent of any conflict you've had? Look at your marriage, your family, your job, your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, your church. God, show us. Show us if we've been in pride. Now, if you're beginning to get that thing in your heart, maybe just choose one for this moment. Just surrender it to God and say, God, I'm giving you this conflict.